I'm kind of go, go all over the place today because I think we're getting the wrong idea uh, about Sadiqim and um, I want to provide an alternative from a couple of texts. So let's dive into the, uh, the Parsha. Um, I'm actually going to start off uh, with the Haftorah from Zechariah. So this is the visual representation from the Haftorah. Now, the background to this is in chapter 3, because the Haftorah is chapter 4. In chapter 3, um, he meets up this angel. Remember, he's in Bovel. And this is all about the prophecy about Cyrus allowing the Jews to come back to Eretz Israel. So uh, the angel further showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and the accuser standing at his right side to accuse him. So we've got the angel of the Lord, high priest and the Sotan. And then there's this vikuach going back and forth between the Lord and the accuser. Very nice. But that's the metaphor. And then the angel who talked with me in my vision, in my dream, came back and woke me as a man is wakened from his sleep. And he says, what do you see? I see a lampstand, a menorah of gold and a bowl above it full of oil. The lamps on it are seven in number and the lamps above it have seven pipes. So if you look at this, there is there is this bowl, golden bowl of, of oil with pipes going into each of the seven um, ca uh, candelabra sticks. And I asked the angel who talked with me, what do those things mean? Uh, and the angel says, don't you know what those things mean? And I said, no. And then he said, this is the word of the Lord to, to Zerubbabel, Loba Otsim, Loba Koch, but my spirit. Not, and that's how the Haftorah ends. It's not by might, not by power, but my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, which means that my spirit will change and Cyrus will allow the Jews back. But look at this image. I just love this image of an olive tree to the right and an olive tree to the left. He does not explain what that means. But obviously the olive trees supply the olive oil for, the, for this beautiful visual image in his dream. And there's one on the right side and one on the left. Well, I cannot help. But thinking that this goes back to chapter 3, that there's something on the right and something on the left, the angel versus the Sotan. And this bifurcated split vision between the angel and the Sotan, between the right side and the left side, between Gevura and Chesed, and the two olive trees that really look alike, is what I think tears apart the Tzaddik or the adept or someone who feels Torah with his heart, not just with his head. So let's go to our Pasuk from this week's Pasha, Baha And that comes, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, It shouldn't have said it should have said, everyone knows that it should have said, when you light, you know, when you light the candles, we light Neros. Uh, what's Baha'losacha? Why, when you mount the lamps or you raise Baha'losacha in the hifil, alot, to go up, to raise up. 
Then the word el mul menorah is problematic because mul means opposite. doesn't mean the menorah itself. El mul means opposite the menorah. Vayas kenaron el mul So he does exactly what he's told. He lifted up, raised up the candles, the lights. Kashet Now, these questions are raised by the Midrash. And the Midrash goes straight to town and and we're told this amazing story. Now we know that there are five places in the Torah where Moshe was stumped halachically by the blasphemer, the Nokev, the Pesach Sheni, the Mekoshesh Eitzim, the one who was gathering wood on Shabbos, the whole Pasha with Zimri and Cosby, and at the end of Bamidvar the Benos Tzlofchot. And in each of these, he has to ask God, I don't know the halacha here. Can you help me out? Those are the five areas he was stumped halachically. Now, there were three areas, midrashically, in which nitkasher Moshe. It was difficult for Moshe to conceptualize what's being commanded. The first thing it says, when What do you mean? How, how do I know? A new moon, there's no moon. How do I know? So God has to show him. He points with his fingers. So anytime the word is used, God is pointing to him with his finger. The second one is the hoofs of animals. Does the hoof, is it split? Is it not? Does it make tomato? The pig has a split foot, doesn't chew the cud. Niskashe Moshe, God shows it to him with his finger. This is what the hoof looks like when it's split. And lastly, Dova Acher, the Halosifer, at Moshe, Niskashe Moshe, What's the big deal? Just make a, make a candelabrum. Yosemi called Klea Mishkan. God told him how to make the Oron and the table and the this and that. We had no problem with that, the Kior and the Kano. But when it came to the menorah, for some reason, Niskashe Moshe, he has a hard time conceptualizing it. We know there's a machlokas poskin between the Rambam and the Halacha, whether it's a, it's a round or it's straight. The modern state of Israel took sides. <laughs> That's not the, uh, the halachic one. Ours is perpendicular, whatever. Okay, so we know there's a problem in the conceptualization. Ad. So God shows him with his finger, hey, this is what it looks like. As we know, in other places, the pastor's behemoth Tmea, he was Niskasha there, the Yoreyach, when it came to the moon moon. So by the behemoth, it says Zoisachaya with his finger. By the moon, it says Achodesh with his finger. And now the fact that the text says it could have said no, it says points to the fact that the rabbi saw that Moshe was having a hard time that God needed to point out the shape. Very nice. So what was so difficult? Moshe. He tried. Apparently, there was a problem with the alloy, with the mixing, how much gold, how much pure gold, how do you make it? It's too soft. 
right, you're still having a problem. Meaning, even after I've showed you the shape, you're still having a problem producing the alloy so that it will make... Okay. Just chuck a bunch of gold in the fire. Oh, a miracle! A miracle! Out came... Out came the menorah. It's interesting. What is the counterpart that comes to your mind? What else was thrown into the fire and came out something? The Egel. The Egel Hazog materialized out of the fire. What's going on here? The right olive tree, the left olive tree. Shenema Meaning, it just, it came from it. He just threw it in and it came. It didn't say, you should make it. It will be made of its own. It was made. Very nice. Okay. So this is what's going on. Moshe is having a hard time with the production of the menorah, and therefore God says to him, do it from yourself. And then the Medrash ends in the following way. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu blessed Moshe with this. None of the others, but just by the carbon. The Medrash says that, Ner Adonai Nishmas Adam, okay, so the Bala Medrash is saying Neros, Ner, Proverbs 20, the candle of Adonai is the soul of a person, meaning each of us has a candle of Adonai, which is our soul. And here it says, So then the Bala Medrash says, Azoi, the God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu blesses Moshe and says, If you are careful, to light it before me, I will protect your souls from every evil thing, since souls are compared to a candle. As it says, Ner Adonai Nishmas Adam. And it says, Bahalosa Esha Neros. Neros, Ner. But what is the Medrash really getting at? God is saying, Asoy, my Ner, the Manoah, represents me. That is the Ner Hashem. That, uh, that is the Menorah. And if you are careful to keep my light, my Ner, my soul, in, represented by that Menorah, then I will bless you when you raise up those candles every time. It's an, um, it's an astonishing Medrash that God is making his presence, his Ner, in the Menorah, depending on us, now let's move over from the anxiety of Moshe to an even greater anxiety of Aaron. Because we know that when Aaron approaches the altar, something, something happens. And let's look at that. When Aaron approaches in Shmini, it says in Leviticus 9, Moshe tells Aaron... Krav Alamizbeach. Moshe says to Aaron, go to the altar, 
And Rashi says, quoting the Sifra, Shehoyo Aaron Bosh, for Yori Lageshes. Aaron is diffident. He, he, he has busha. He is embarrassed. And, and, and he's afraid to approach the Mizbeach. He's the Aaron, Kohen Godel. What's going on? Oma lo Moshe. And Moshe says to Aaron, Loma ata Bosh. What on earth are you, Bosh? Why are you being so diffident? That is exactly why you were chosen. Now, the Orachayim has a very, very deeply psychological view of what's going on. He approaches the altar and the altar, uh, and, and, and he brings the Gemara in Makris, Yushalmi in Makris, that there's a conversation upstairs. What should be the punishment of a person who has sinned? And the answer was, a verse from Ezekiel 18.4, the Hanefesh HaChotas Hitamus. A person or the soul who sins, the soul will die. So when they asked that, that's they asked from Midas Hadin. Now they asked Midas HaRachimim the same question. And the answer given by mercy was, let him bring a sacrifice. So the Orachayim gives us this amazingly psychological insight. The major factor determining the value of the animal sacrifice is the thought it evokes in the person offering it. If that person will realize that everything which is being done to the sacrificial animal is something that should have been done to him, then the atonement is effective. So when the Torah says that Aaron approached the altar, this is another way of saying that he readied himself to place his own soul on the altar as a guilt offering. Well, what's the guilt? He was aware that when he performed the act of slaughtering the animal, instead, this was an act of mercy by God who spared his life and allowed him to present the animal's life as a substitute for his own. But what had he done wrong? Well, he had been involved in the ego. And I think that the Orachim is saying, would it be fair to kill a human being because of what he did whilst he was on the level of a behemoth? You know, we know there's a Gemara that says that a person doesn't sin unless a Ruach Stus or a Ruach behemoth enters him when a, such a person has to offer a beast. So he'll realize that the anguish the beast suffers when it has to die he will then appreciate that he himself has been in a situation similar to that of the beast which now has to die. So for the Orachim, man's sensitivity to the animal's anguish then is what really saves him from the fate of the animal. So when Moshe says, you were chosen as the Koyen Godel precisely because you have that meter that you're willing to sacrifice yourself uh, uh, to him. I want to now share with you the Chuas Chaim, and we're going to skip right forward then to the notion that Aaron is teaching us. The notion that Aaron is teaching us is that of a flawed tzaddik, a flawed Kohen. Because Rashi's comment that he was afraid to touch why are you ashamed for this you are chosen? Can be read as simple encouragement. Maybe Aaron was just in awe of his task or didn't feel confident or didn't know what he was supposed to do. 
Well, on the other hand, it could be noted that Moshe was right there to supervise, so it begs the question, why does Rashi think that Aaron has hesitated? And there is a late commentator by the name of Rab Avram Rapa, Italian rabbi, uh, who wrote Mincha Belula, and he says, the Midrash says, and this is even more psychological, that when Aaron was gauche, when he came towards the, the, uh, the altar, that the altar looked to him like a calf, that in his mind's eye he couldn't take his obsession from his participation in the eagle. So he sees the altar. Well, the last altar that, that they were sacrificing to was the eagle. And that's why he's hesitated. And I quote from Rav Rapa, as is known, a person's imagination is a product of those matters which are on his mind. And that's what he dwells on. Aaron could not forget what happened with the Egel Azov. He remembered his sin. His sin was always before him. As it says in Psalm 51, So he sees the altar as a calf. And when Moshe says, for this you were chosen, it meant because of this. Because you always remember your sin and are humble from it, you were so chosen to serve as the high priest. Beautiful. Now we're getting somewhere. Rashi tells us that Aaron's sin offering was in fact a young cow. The Minchablula postulates that the image of the cow made Aaron feel ashamed and unworthy because he remembered his role in crafting the golden calf. And he goes on to make a medrash that it was precisely because of Aaron's humility that God chose him to serve as the priest who atoned for the people. Now let me share with you what does the Chuas Chain, a Talmud of the Baal Shem HaKadosh, learn from that Orachaim and from that Midrash Belula in his understanding of the Tzaddik. Now, if a person sins, what does he do? We don't have the korbanos and we don't have this and that, but we go to the tzaddik, we confess. We go to a tzaddik for an etzer. But just to go up and overcome his yetzer and bring all, break all his tithes, it's impossible. A person's tithes are so overwhelming. Except This is the whole theology, the revolution of Hasidus, that there are tzaddikim that we can attach ourselves to, and by attaching to them, we can learn the path of life, how to get out of our addictions, out of our Yetzahara. Now listen to what he says. He qualifies this. But if you're going to go up to, to the Satmarov, who's totally perfect, you're not going to be learning anything from him. If you're, if you're sunk, Meshuka, you're completely drowning in your physicality. He's already done his work. He's already completed his reparations, his own inner work. 
Al kein hu ochel b'shos dem mishmainim b'yain v'lovish begodim non b'yavad yoshe b'dios. So when you go to that tzaddik and you see him eating and drinking and living in a beautiful place, and you're looking at his externals, v'chol eile u oibed avodos anibur yimala mitzutim kedusha machis akol kedusha, and you don't see what's going on inside him. All you see is the outside and everything looks good and his family and his kids, it all looks good. You don't understand what's going inside him that he is being mal and it suits as a kadoshin. So then what you're going to say to yourself, how, how am I, the lowly, lowlife like me, going to learn from him? In recovery, we have this statement. Don't compare your insides to his outsides. You see someone and he looks all good and everything. Be careful. Don't compare his outside to your insides. You don't know what's going on inside. And here, you don't know what's going on in that sadik. You're not going to see anything that's happening from his inside. Okay. And now the Chuas Chain introduces us to the concept of the fallen saint, the fallen sadik. The tzaddik who hasn't yet reached perfection. What? That goes against the definition of a tzaddik. No. This is a tzaddik in process. This is a work in process. So you have to come, you have to attach yourself to a tzaddik who has not yet reached the exalted levels of righteousness. Rakhu Patocha Avoida is still on his spiritual path. The Hainu Patocha is Dakakus. He's still refining his character. The Hainu Shelohu's Dakadain Lagamre. So you have to go to someone like that. Shehu Asuk Bada. He's still busy in refining himself. And what do you look for? You look for the, the moments in which he falls to see how does he fall and how does he get up. And sometimes he falls. And so he therefore falls and you then watch exactly what he's doing. One second, let me go to the second page. But Sadiq Zer, when he is fallen, he gets up by saying, okay, I fell because of that website or for that type of, for that carbohydrate or for that uh, drug or for that gambling addiction. So now this is what I'm going to do to recover. I'm going to make gedarim v'siyogim. I'm going to make these fences so that I don't go to the bar and I don't go to the website and I don't go. And I'm learning from that sadik. How he picks himself up. And how he even protects him from that kind of, we spoke about it last week, Klippus Neugal, that's that which is not bad and not good, but somewhere in between. It's just neutral. In order to refine himself. And so the low life can learn from him. How I can apply it to my own life. We're being introduced to the tzaddik who hasn't yet arrived, who's still working on himself. Not to see how great he is and how he's living. No, how to see how he falls and gets up. Okay, so that's, that's what it means.
And I'm, I'm just blown away by this beautiful, beautiful Chuas um, Chain. And I want to mirror it in a Ma'or Vashemesh because the Ma'or Vashemesh tells us how to look at our own in that same way. And the Or Shemesh tells us, Through the tshuva of the tzaddik, it is ma'orah tshuva's belief of those who are with him. So the Ma'or Shemesh says the same thing. He says, you can't learn anything. You can't learn anything from that tzaddik. And the Ma'or Shemesh then goes, we go back to the, uh, the Chuas Chain. And the Chuas Chain says in our parsha, in Kahalo as follows. On our own, we are learning this particular meter. And now the Jewish Chain is going to take that more of a Shemesh and put it together with this notion of two types of Tzadikim. Tzadik that wants to bring up Someone who is nidcher, he is completely out of the pale. They say about the Tzemach Tzedek that he used to wear a white bekesh the whole time. But when someone would come to him and start telling him about his Taurus, he had to actually go to his study and take off his white begodim so that he could lower himself into the mind of the person who is sinning in order to get him out. And once there was someone who was such a manuval, he was the town adulterer, he was screwing around with everything, that Semach Sedek said, I just cannot imagine this. I can't fix you. It is too low a level. You better go <laughs> to the Tiferet Shlomo. He will understand you. Because the Tver Shlomo would be Makarev people in the universities and blah, blah, blah. So he understood that level of nibble. That Semach Tzedek just couldn't wrap his head around the sin to get him out. This is what it's talking about. The Tzedek has to lahore de satzmo mi madrega so. He's got to come down from his high madrega. Now the Mor of Hashem says that won't do any good. You got to find the Tzedek who's still in progress. But the Jewish thing said no. The meter of Aaron was that he was able to come down from his high horse. Because he was the Kohen God. And he's bringing a chatos for this particular person. And the chatos, the Orachim said, is all in the head. You've got to see, realize that this behemoth, you behave like a behemoth. This behemoth is a substitute for you, right? So Aaron, who is your shaliach, has to lower himself down to that level. And he's got to bring him up from the S-H-I-T. Now you know that the Neshama, as we said before in the Midrash, those menorahs come as representative of the candles of God and protecting the candles of man. The heat adds more. This is the inner work that Aaron or the Sadiq has to do. So when Moshe 
looks at Aaron's self-abnegation and his anxiety and says, well, it's not me, I can't do it. He says, no, he comes in and says, what, you're just giving me Benora? You're not giving me any of the other Kalim like all the other Shvatim got? And he goes, no, 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 this is much higher than them. You're like, now the Medrash says that the reason that he got the Menorah is because the Beis Amikdash will be destroyed, but the Neros of the Menorah will transfer to the Neros of Hanukkah. So when it's your life, the other Shvatim and the Beis Amikdash, all the Kalim, that'll all be destroyed one day. But your life will continue into the work that you're going to do in the Menorah throughout Golos until the Menorah of Zechariah. Okay, but here the Jewish Chena says, Godol, Godol because they, in there, the other Shvatim, their job was just the ritual behavior of the Mizbeach and the other accoutrements in order to take people who were sinning and to atone for them. But that is a lower level of kapara. It's in a beautiful Jewish vein. What the other Shvatim have to do is just the ritual performative halachic observance. Yeah, I, I davened. Yeah, I did this. On Erev Hashanah, I did Tacha Tamura. I did this. I did, I did all the behavioral stuff. But that doesn't even come close to the Aaron. Why? I'm reminded of the Lubavitcher Rebbe and, and the dollars and every person would come to him and he would give him every year. He was mishtatev in nefesh kol echad ba'atzmo. It wasn't a klali thing. Yes, everyone show up. Let's do your thing. Do the ritual. Aaron's meter was, and it's precisely because he's a fallen saint. He had that sin in front of him all the time. That would made him so humble on the level of every yid. And he goes, you've got to be careful. You don't do this every time. And I'm going to come in a minute to an example of that. You have to be careful. There's a, there's a danger in lowering yourself to the filth of the person that's coming to you, the manuvel. That's the pu'ulas is And I am just blown away by this double notion. The right olive tree and the left olive tree. And why the anxiety of Aaron was turned into an absolute asset. It's precisely because of the humility of seeing his own sin, the tzaddik in progress, that he's able to help others. And that reminds me of the allegations of sexual misbehavior that followed Shlomo Karlebach, wherever he went throughout much of his adult love. Many people claim to have been hurt by his affection and his distance. And they could not be denied or reflexively confirmed. They should be taken seriously and considered carefully. And they are part of the complex fabric of who he was. Inspiring, charismatic, broken, and perhaps most of all lonely.
This brokenness for me opens the door that Sadiq that is working on himself, that's trying to show through his compassion for others who are broken, that level of complexity. Sarah Imhoff, a scholar of religion, music, and the body, is correct in her assertion that breaking boundaries as a spiritual exercise can have terrible effects when it comes to human relationships. And so it's mistaken the way, you know, Schleimer and, and, and the squeaky clean Schleimer and the dubbing and the Nusser, and it's, that is a mistake. Because his entire message was about the messiness of human existence. And I'm not here to exonerate any wrongdoing, but to see him outside the confines of any post-Holocaust world he inhabited. What he did believe in, above all, was the power of compassion and the power of tshuva. Whether he ever repented for his disease deeds to himself or to others, I have no idea. It's not my business. But I have never felt so torn about a tzaddik and so sorry for a single individual. And he shattered the old world notion of the tzaddik as an exemplar of perfection. The tzaddik for him was the most broken of figures, irredeemably so. And one who walked with that brokenness throughout and through the shattered hearts of those who he encountered. And my sense, and I, I'm open to criticism here, that while he lived a life in accordance with orthodox halakha, I don't believe he believed that in a post-Holocaust world, the Jewish law, the halachic observance alone, was the ultimate glue to heal a broken people or a broken world. For him, it was not only the Jews who were broken after the Holocaust, humanity was broken. And here he reflects Hannah Arendt's pithy statement when she argues in the Eichmann in Jerusalem that the Holocaust was not a crime against the Jewish people, but a crime against humanity committed on the body of the Jewish people. And all the anti-Semitic things that are happening in the world today is a litmus test of that. It's a reflection of the humanity of the world. And I think that he felt that halacha can keep a people together, but it will not heal them. And it will certainly not heal the world. Halacha is a wall. But infused with a universal spirit, it could be otherwise. But in most cases, walls and laws separate and do not unite. And I think what mattered to him most was human relations, the ability of one human being to see another, the recognition of the other's humanity. And that, for me, makes him a tzaddik, a fallen tzaddik, a broken tzaddik. And I think he did have that true antinomian streak of Ishbitz. If the law prevented human connection, the law was a barrier and not a catalyst for the divine will. The price one pays for this is high, not only with regard to acceptance in a normative orthodox halachic community, but also even more so in negotiating the human need and desire 
and the hazard of erasing boundaries that those keep those desire intact. And he was a living example of that because unfortunately he broke those boundaries and hurt many people. But precisely because of that, I go back to the two olive trees that are fueling the Zacharias vision of the oil that's God's oil filtering down into the candelabrum that is Am Yisrael and humanity. And it's the two olive trees that must feed it. The olive tree of the perfect tzaddik and the idea of perfection and the olive tree, as far as I can see, of the imperfect broken tzaddik who gives us the ability to breathe and see how does he do it? How does he fix the world? Thank you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.